We're driven by the search for better. But when it comes to hiring, the best way to search for a candidate isn't to search at all. Don't search match with Indeed. Indeed is your matching and hiring platform with over 350 million global monthly visitors, according to Indeed data, and a matching engine that helps you find quality candidates fast. Ditch the busy work. Use Indeed for scheduling, screening, and messaging so you can connect with candidates faster. Leveraging over 140 million qualifications and preferences every day, Indeed's matching engine is constantly learning from your preferences, so the more you use Indeed, the better it gets. Join more than 3.5 million businesses worldwide that use Indeed to hire great talent fast. And listeners of this show will get a $75 sponsored job credit to get your jobs more visibility at Indeed.com slash BlueWire. Just go to Indeed.com slash BlueWire right now and support our show by saying that you heard about Indeed on this podcast. That's Indeed.com slash BlueWire. Terms and conditions apply. Need to hire? You need Indeed. What's up, y'all? It's Drewski, and I've teamed up with Mountain Dew to produce a hilarious new basketball podcast called The Dew Zone with Drewski. Learn the backstories of your favorite ballers and celebrities like Jamal Murray. Did you have, like, a favorite team? Was it the Raptors at the time or no? Was the Raptors even started around that time? Come on, bro. I ain't that old, fam. <laughs> You're talking like I'm 50. Taylor Rooks, Asia Wilson, and many more. You won't want to miss this. Listen to The Do Zone with Drewski on Apple Podcasts, Spotify, and wherever you listen to podcasts. Support for this podcast comes from Wild Turkey Kentucky Straight Bourbon Whiskey. Let's tune in to their one-on-one with Jamal, a real bartender from Old Fourth Ward in Atlanta. I really get into the backstory of whatever I'm pouring. Out of respect, there are literally years of experience behind these bottles. Wild Turkey, same recipe since 1942. If you want a true classic, this is what you want to order. Wild Turkey. Wild Turkey Distilling Company, Lawrenceburg, Kentucky. Copyright 2020, Campari, America, New York, New York. Never compromise, drink responsibly. Welcome to the Rotowire NBA podcast. It is Thursday, April 20th. Nick Whalen here with DJ Trainer. We're also joined by James Anderson, who we basically had to drag into the studio today to talk some NBA. Uh, James, you're pretty much in full on baseball mode at this point, but I'm mostly curious to know which series you're, you're keeping an eye on still in the NBA. I know we were texting back and forth on Saturday night. And I don't think there was anyone in the world, um, you know, even including this man's family and even including the fans in Salt Lake City, who was more excited about the way I saw Joe Johnson close game one against the Clippers. Yeah, I, you know, long have long disliked this Los Angeles Clippers team. And I'm a big fan of this jazz team. And I am a big fan of ISO Joe. And particularly when he goes into ISO Joe mode late in games. And it was just, you know, everything about the play was just awesome. I mean, you had uh, Jamal Crawford getting switched on to him. And as soon as that happened, like, you could see everyone start to get a little excited on the the jazz sidelines. And you knew exactly what was going to come. And I think the fact that it actually rolled around a little bit and didn't go straight down actually made it kind of more iso (laughs) joey if if at all possible. So 
Uh, and I was at a bar and I'd been drinking a little bit, so that added to my excitement levels. But you at know, one of the many local Utah jazz bars in Madison, I'm sure. <laughs> yeah, I was actually in Milwaukee. Uh, oh, so yeah, that was that was fun and probably the best game of the playoffs so far in in my opinion. I've been watching a lot of the the Bucks. Mm. Uh, Raptors series. I think everyone kind of agrees that that's one of the more intriguing ones. Definitely one of the more competitive ones. I think the Rockets Thunder series is fascinating uh, just to kind of watch the contrast in the way the two MVPs play. And then uh, I've been watching a lot of the the Warriors series just because I can't get enough of watching the Warriors even when the, the series is fully decided. I want to jump in on something you said to start, James, and that you don't really like the Clippers team, right? So I get that. I've gotten that the last three years, but I kind of thought over the course of this season that maybe the average NBA fan would have a soft spot in their heart for the Clippers just because, you know, they've put up valiant efforts. Oftentimes they get hurt. The Warriors come along. Um, Cavs obviously pretty good to the point where like we feel sorry for this Clippers team. Not only do they have three bona fide all-stars, but they have three generally likable guys to a certain degree but what makes you you know as an NBA follower still dislike the Clippers because for me I have a soft spot in my heart for them where I'm actually rooting for them but I will say I feel like I'm in the minority I just I don't like the way Doc Rivers carries himself I don't like the way Chris Paul carries himself I don't really like the way Blake Griffin plays at times Uh, I really like JJ Redick I really like DeAndre Jordan Uh, but and I, and I don't mind Blake. When Blake's going really well and really engaged on both ends, I, I think he's a dynamic player to watch. But I mostly just don't like Chris Paul or Doc Rivers in terms of just the way they, they handle themselves on the court. That's fair. I mean, they complain more than anybody. But, Nick, do you have a soft spot in your heart for I the, love Clippers the Clippers whatsoever? I, I you know, I'm trying to remain neutral, but I admire James for being overt with his Clippers hate. You know, you That's listen true. to a lot of podcasts or you read <laughs> articles, and, and it's always people are saying, like, you know, fans of Team X are getting at me on Twitter. They claim I hate their team. Everybody thinks I hate their team. James is like, yeah, I do hate that team. Like, I, people think I hate their team, and they're correct. I do hate them. Yeah. So, and, and I also just, I, I really don't. It, I, I sort of uh, get kind of offended when teams run, are the front offices run really poorly in terms of what they do in the off season, uh, free agency, the draft. Offended, like that's that's. A good way for me to not like your team is just making a bunch of stupid decisions and not being able to put together uh, a quality roster 1 through 12. So I made the comparison earlier this week that the Clippers are essentially the Carmelo Anthony as a team where they're incredibly polarizing but still like really good, like undervalued, still really good. Do you think that the Clippers are underappreciated from just how good they are as a from a basketball standpoint? Like, even if you want to compare all the teams over the last ten years, obviously they've run into some buzzsaws. But in terms of how good this team is, like they're still one of the better teams in the NBA with three bona fide all stars. They ran into that Blazers buzzsaw <laughs> last year. Yeah, a lot, a lot of buzzsaws. Uh, yeah, a lot of buzzsaws. Well, a lot of, a lot of injuries around. and buzzsaws. A lot of careless people running those saws. No, I mean they, they had injuries last year and that was obviously the main reason that they collapsed in that series um i don't think they're being underrated i mean they've won at least 50 games each of the last five years which you know looking back at the the history of the los angeles clippers they were a franchise that had never won 50 games until 2012 13 um but it's hard to earn respect in the nba if you don't win in the playoffs and this is a team that has yet to make it past uh the second round so 
until they do that, I don't think anyone can really take them seriously. You know, they can play really well uh, during the regular season. They've been at times the second or third best team if you want to look at the ratings during the regular season. But you know, without even getting to the conference finals, it's hard to take them seriously in I, that context. I think they are underrated this year. I think like yeah. just just in the office before the playoffs started. Uh, I was the only one like there were like three or four people talking about who they thought was going to win each series and I was the only one that thought the Clippers were going to win this series against the Jazz and I I, I well I, I know DJ has tweeted that but like just mm-hmm. it was, I've tweeted it was, more than that it was three or four people talking DJ I don't think was either not there or just wasn't in the conversation but like everyone was kind of like oh man this Jazz team oh like it's going to be like you know this is going to be great like the Jazz great matchup for the Jazz and everything and and I still think the Clippers, just based on their their core four guys, uh, are more ready to to go to the second round right now than this Jazz team is. Uh, but did you feel that way before the Gobert injury? Yeah, okay. I, I think. Right. I mean, you just look at the, you know, the I, that that actually was a situation at the end of that first game where I, uh, you know, I would have thought a game like that close in Los Angeles is one that would would definitely skew towards the Clippers in terms mm-hmm. of who wins it. Obviously, uh, I think it just can't kind of came down to the Clippers not calling a timeout and the Jazz also not calling a timeout there that allowed for that yeah. mismatch to happen. But, I mean, that's still like a, you know, maybe it's a 50-50 shot. And uh, I think I think the Clippers are the best team. I don't know if they're going to win um, just kind of because of that, that close game and how that one swung, but I think they are the best team in the series. I mean, in general, though, people tend to favor the up-and-coming team over the team that's been solid but hasn't gotten over the hump. I mean, the best case for that is the Minnesota Timberwolves in the preseason rankings where they were giving no credit to teams like the Clippers or the or the Blazers or even the Rockets um, because people are always ready, willing, and wanting to anoint the next best team when you, know, you look at the, actually on paper and even over the last couple of years, the Clippers on paper are clearly – you know, the more experienced team where they, I think they should have been favored, but the census from the office and the census that I get on NBA Twitter and whatnot, I, I feel like, you know, while people said it'd be a close series, they were almost always giving the edge to the Utah Jazz, who definitely have not done anything in the playoffs over the last three or four years. Yeah, I mean, these teams had identical records. I, I think this was to me and probably to most people coming into the playoffs was the closest series on paper um, in terms of like it wouldn't really surprise you if it went to seven and went either way. The Jazz have been banged up. They lost more games due to injury than any other team this year. So there's still kind of that belief that if everyone was healthy and, you know, a lot of their main guys were the ones down with injuries, you know, they're probably a couple games better than the Clippers. But then you know, on the other hand, you know, Chris Paul missed time, Blake Griffin missed time. Uh, so you can kind of make that argument both ways. But I, I mean, I see this one going six or seven. I think if Gobert was healthy, I would I would say Jazz in seven. Um, but but either way, I mean, the, the, the Jazz won without Gobert in game one. And uh, I shared that tweet with you, James. I think it was Eric Freeman of, of Yahoo uh, basically called exactly what Doc Rivers was going to say in his post-game presser. Or he, you know, Eric tweeted something like, Doc Rivers is about to say that Gobert getting hurt actually helped the Jazz. Like two minutes later, Doc Rivers gets up on the podium and says word for word, "Like I, I thought that actually helped them that their, you know, second best defensive player in the NBA went down." But there is, I mean, there's there's winning a game without having uh, Gobert there, and then there's uh, winning the game but not having any time to prepare for that. So I mean, I know that they should be able to make snap judgments on the fly, but it's not like. 
the Clippers had all this time to create a scheme with a Gobertless Jazz team. Right. Well, I mean, I listened to a, a podcast with David Locke, who's the play-by-play guy for the Jazz this morning, and he he said through the first two games of the series, the Clippers are shooting seventy-five percent at the rim, and the Jazz with Gobert allow mm-hmm. something like fifty-five percent. I don't remember what the exact number was, but it was a huge, huge disparity. So, I mean, there's a very clear difference in how this Jazz team operates too without Gobert and. I think the feeling was that Utah stole one in game one, you know, one playing in LA, two playing without Gobert and knowing that, you know, not knowing going into the game that they would be without Gobert. So I think it goes both ways. Like, yeah, the Clippers weren't able to prepare for a Gobertless Jazz, but the Jazz also weren't able to prepare to face the Clippers without Gobert. Let's let's be clear here. The Jazz did not steal one. ISO Joe yeah. stole one. Is ISO Joe a condescending nickname, by the way? I think it used to be condescending and now it's kind of grown into like a complimentary. Well, it was game. it was condescending when he was the best player on his team. Yeah, and now it's it's complimentary when he's right. like the main role he provides, well, other like, than just veteran leadership, is right. the late game guy. Like in two thousand eight, Joe Johnson would ISO and you know miss a pull up jumper, and you'd yell ISO Joe. This is what he does. Now he isolates and wins a game, and it's like ISO Joe. This, this is so great. This is ISO Joe. Like it's he somehow turned like a like I said a condescending nickname into a positive one yeah all right um so last night warriors blew out portland once again um javel mcgee was arguably the best player on the floor for like three minutes throughout this game uh and i still cannot believe the production they're getting out of him but i don't really want to talk too much about that series uh other than the fact that once again the warriors looked a little bit more comfortable and looked a little bit more free-flowing offensively without kevin durant we're not going to sit here and say that they're a better team without KD because that's not true, but they it, they play a noticeably different style and a style that we, you know, we're used to them playing the last couple of years and when Durant's back, they're not quite as explosive, I guess, offensively. You know, they might be better overall offensively, but they they don't make the same type of plays uh that they do when Durant's sitting out. So, what I was asking myself watching this game is it possible that they're actually playing too loose? Now, the way they played last night, yeah. we'll get the job done against the Trailblazers. Arguably, I didn't tweet this, but it could, it should be able to get the job done against the Clippers or the Jazz and maybe even the Rockets, right? But in the finals, we know this, I mean, from one specific play last year, Steph Curry, you can't behind-the-back pass in a crucial moment. And, and the way I saw the game last night, you know, they obviously were going to win, but some of those passes and the way they were carrying themselves, that is not going to work when games and series are competitive. I think that they actually need to rein it in a little bit because I think it's actually possible to play too loose. I I disagree with the behind-the-back pass thing. Like, yes, he threw a bad behind-the-back pass at a really crucial time last year, and, like, people have been holding that against him, like, Behind the back, people don't just throw them to throw them. Like, there's an advantage to it. Like, when you're coming off of a Come screen. Come on. No. Yes. I've, I've seen you. I've heard you hate on him for that behind the back pass, Well, too. right. You at that specific take... one, yeah. But, like, overall, it's not like he's trying to hot dog. It, it, it takes an extra half second to pick up your dribble, turn around, and throw a chest pass. If you can throw a behind the back pass as you're moving right and give the defender less time to react, it's a good play. If the pass is on target. If it's not, you look stupid. But there's a reason people do it. You know, it's the same reason that, like, you'll see Chris Paul on a pick and roll you know, th- quick, you know, quick, like throw it between his legs instead of take a second to bounce pass it because you save a little bit of time and don't let the defense react. Again, if you mess it up, you end up, you know, basically what happened to Steph Curry in the finals. Uh, but I'm not worried about Golden State. I mean, they, the defensive rating last night was under 78. Uh, they're so good on defense that it really doesn't matter. 
Yeah, no, I'm not either. I I think I might be. Uh, I I the only reason why I think they they really need KD back for uh, potential Cavs series is just for his defense. Like I don't I don't think they. Wow, they were him. 40 points per possession better on defense last night than the Cavs have been in either of their games. I I just mean for that specific matchup. Like I think being able to put kd on lebron uh in certain situations is something they just absolutely didn't have as an option last year and if and this is like assuming that kd's playing back up to the level he was playing uh, defensively in last year's postseason uh and he was playing at a really high level before this this last injury so i i think as long as they hold him out for as as long as they need to i think they'll they'll still have that I, i don't think anyone in the West is touching them with or without KD. Uh, I just think that LeBron in one series could give them a ton of trouble mm-hmm. if they don't have Durant on defense. The defensive effort is going to be there. Like The reason that I think in the past it wasn't is like, who is going to hold Kevin Durant accountable if he didn't go all out on D and OKC? Like, Russell isn't going all out on D. He wasn't going to hold him accountable. Like If Kevin well, Durant is going 70% on D, he's going to hear about it from Draymond. And I think he get, everyone gets to their kind of to a point in their career where it's just winning is the only thing that really matters to you and like at that point you start trying uh on defense in in crucial games i think he got to there in okc last year i mean i I don't think i think he was just doing that because he really wanted to win those series and so like i think he's gotten to that point in his career where i think uh the point where lebron's at where it's like yeah there's going to be some games where he's not giving a crap on defense but you know in a postseason series when he buckles down on that end of the court he can be a monster yeah absolutely uh thunder rockets this was uh one of russ's better games of the season regular season included um through three quarters and things things went off the rails in quarter four and i i don't know that i've ever really seen anything like this um I mean, there there was a, a stretch of about five or six minutes um, as the the end of the fourth quarter neared, uh, where Westbrook was not even looking to pass whatsoever. It was pretty clear that he was taking it upon himself to try to win this game for OKC, and it did not go as planned. I think he took seventeen shots in the fourth quarter. I believe he made four of those shots at least five or six air balls um which were essentially turnovers going the other way for houston uh i i said to you this morning james like if the mvp vote was cast this morning i think there are quite a few people who might have voted for russ who would reconsider their decision after watching these first couple of games i don't know if that's fair or not uh but but it hasn't been the the most ringing endorsement for russell westbrook mvp through two games but here's the thing about russell westbrook is he has that switch and it's on or off and there's no in between like he has no self-awareness that he could potentially be hurting his team by taking too much control but that same mentality is the reason why he averaged a triple double this season i mean it's no surprise right that when he jacks up threes like when he's guarded you know by two guys and he's five feet behind the line and he's jacking up a three with three minutes left and they're down by six points that's not a good idea but that just i mean that's just the territory with with russell westbrook and really it's one of those things where if if you tell him to change or he does become self-aware another area of his game is going to it's just going to lag because he has to have that 100 percent mentality that he's the guy he's the only guy that can get it done so sometimes it helps the franchise out and sometimes it's potentially their achilles heel 
I mean, to be fair, he's not getting much help. You know, it's it, in some ways it's a chicken or the egg thing. You know, I mean, Victor Oladipo has been terrible through two games. He's five of twenty six from the floor, one of thirteen from three. You know, the rest of the roster is like you know you, you get what you get out of Robertson. I, I don't think you can really. I mean, he had what three threes in game one. Like that's that's if he makes three threes for the series, that's great. You can't really expect to get much. You, just looking out of the roster, it's like what is Sabonis going to give you? Not much. Jeremy Grant hustle points. Kyle Singler, nothing. Cantor's borderline unplayable in this series, and you know that was he was exposed yet again last night. A minus nine in eight minutes. Um, so there's not a lot of help, and that's that's the one thing you can point to with Russ. It's like it's it's not like he's necessarily looking off these great three point shooters to to launch these contested looks, but at the same time he's five of twenty two from three himself in this series. So something's got to change for OKC. I mean, they were one of the worst three-point shooting teams in the league, if not the worst three-point shooting team in the league by percentage during the regular season. And, you know, you're not going to be able to, to play this kind of style of basketball, taking 33-pointers against a Rockets team, you know, that kind of lives to play this way and isn't even shooting all that well themselves. I and mean, Ryan Anderson is, what, 0 of 12, I think, from three in this series? Could you, could you argue that they should just kind of come to the realization that it's going to be tough to get good looks uh in the half court and if it's not a transition possession they should kind of go boring college team style and just kind of work the clock and yes. just lean yeah. uh, lean on their rebounding because like that's that's the frustrating thing about when Russ takes uh some of those shots is it's like you're you're taking that shot with 17 seconds on the shot clock and Sure, like maybe you don't get a better shot than that later in the clock, but you're just playing right into Houston's in into their hands by taking that shot early in the clock. And uh, I mean, you just you really have to just lean on Adams and Gibson on the glass more than anything, really. I mean, I think uh, the one thing I would fault Westbrook uh, of in, in terms of his style of play is that I think it's it's really kind of stunted Stephen Adams' offensive development this year. I think that you have certain ser- certain matchups where the offense should be running through Adams and that that just never happens when Russ is on the court it always runs through him and and Adams has kind of become just this this sort of uh you know token big man who just kind of clogs the paint like and and he hasn't really blossomed and and obviously his rebounds are down because Westbrook gets a lot of those rebounds so I don't I think that's an unfair knock against him uh the the rebounding numbers but I think just offensively he hasn't he needed to kind of be there uh, a guy that they could go to especially against a team like the Rockets where it's like Adams versus Clint Capella that should be a, a huge win for you on on offense but he just hasn't really developed into that player yet two things about that and and one is that Cantor is usually on the court when Russell is taking his break and he benefits from what you're talking about right now Adams plays a lot of his minutes with Russell Westbrook on the court because they both start together and that just ends up they they overlap minutes so it would be interesting to see Adams go out there and initiate the front court uh, offense this is nothing no nothing new from Oklahoma City right I mean Sergi Baca was supposed to develop an offensive game years ago but the combination of Kevin Durant and Russell Westbrook just taking all the shots and not letting Ibaka ever develop an offensive game you know that's happened there's a rich tradition of big guys not ever developing offensive games in Oklahoma City and you know I don't know if uh, Steven Adams ever will get that opportunity for as long as Russell Westbrook is there I mean, if you look at the the advanced numbers, like per possession, Adams has been as good, if not better, in just about every area compared to last year. So, like, I mean, 
he hasn't taken huge strides by any means, but it's not like he's totally fallen off the face of the earth. I mean, defensive wind shares are up, usage is up, partially just because he's you know finishing more shots from Westbrook under the rim. Uh, but he hasn't completely fallen off. I don't know no, if it's, it's I, I didn't really mean fair it, to. I didn't mean he fell off. I mean, he needs to be like getting Call for the no, ball. Yeah. Like yeah. he needs to be getting noticeably better. No, like sure. The way that he finished the postseason last mm-hmm. year, it seemed like a breakout was coming. And I just, I don't know if. I just don't think the offense is designed right. in a way where that breakout was ever really going to happen. Mm-hmm. I mean, he's he's a, he's good enough where like he's never going to fall off, but like no, it's just sure. he needed to be at a point where in this series it could go to him. They could work the clock, and like if Westbrook couldn't get a, a one-on-one drive to the rack, they could go to to Adams and let him kind of bring the D in and and work through it that way. To your point of working the clock. The Thunder led for almost yeah, all of this game exactly. until like midway through the fourth. They they were up six, you know, going you know, with after one possession in the fourth. McDermott hit a three to begin the fourth, so they're up six. That's when you control the clock, you know. Like Russ, you're watching Russ play like this, and you would you would think that they're down fifteen, and you just need to get shots up. Like, but that's that's the that's the thing again. It's the mentality not only from Russell, but if if your offense has been predicated on attack on fast break for the whole regular season, you can't just switch that up and lose that mentality. This wasn't attacking on fast breaks, though. I mean, this is like James said. You know, you're not even setting anything up. You're just taking one dribble and firing a three, or you're just flailing yourself right, into four defenders still, and looking for a call. That's what they've been doing all season. While I completely agree that you know, if things don't manifest within the first seven seconds of the shot clock, they should just you know let Russ dribble and then give it down to Adams or Cantor for like the last eight seconds of the shot clock. But it's like teams aren't just going to randomly start doing things they never did in the regular season. Besides Paul Pierce playing the four for the Wizards last year or two years ago, you know, things don't just pop up out of thin air that we'd never saw in the regular season. Yeah. I, I mean, I was, it was just astounding. You know, you would, it was a close game. And like they, the, I just thought the Thunder were, and Westbrook especially, were not valuing these possessions. I mean, the Thunder didn't lose the lead until eight minutes left in the fourth quarter. Like it was still a very winnable game. It was a one point game with three minutes left. You know, and they were playing like they were down ten, and it was it was frustrating to watch. Uh, but that's enough about that series. It the Thunder are in a tough spot. You know, maybe they can steal one at home, but it, it certainly seems like this is going to be a quick series and and one where the Rockets have the advantage. We get Bucks Raptors game three tonight. Um, Bucks were almost able to steal game two. Didn't really feel like they played their best game, and and still were a couple wide open missed threes from Delhi and and Brogdon in the final minute away from from maybe walking out of Toronto with a 2-0 lead but they head back to Milwaukee now that series is 1-1 I I feel you know about as good uh, about this series for Milwaukee as I did after game one you know it, it didn't feel like they let this massive opportunity slip in game two Kyle Lowry hit a lot of tough shots DeMar DeRozan hit a ton of tough mid-range shots which he's been doing all season so that shouldn't come as much of a surprise um but it, it did feel, and, and I tweeted this after the game, it was encouraging that, you know, I'm watching Giannis, and, and it was frustrating at times. He was indecisive. He had some bad turnovers. He missed a lot of shots around the rim that he usually makes. Still ends up with almost a triple-double. Bucks still hang in with Toronto on a night where at one point they had hit eight straight threes. Serge Ibaka's hitting everything. Um, so I think if you're the Bucks, you know, you, you go into game three pretty encouraged despite losing game two. Yeah, I, you know, I I wasn't that excited for game two of that Bucks series or game two of that Clippers series just because you know that the Clippers are going to win that game mm-hmm. and you know the Raptors are going to win that game that's just kind of always how it goes when a team's at home and they're they're favored and 
they're by most people's estimates the best team in the series. So Boston Celtics. I think when you, right. I think when you uh, when you leave Toronto one one and you're the Bucks, you you're fine with that. That's that's pretty much what you're hoping for. Uh, yeah, I, I don't really have a ton to add. I, I thought the the usage of players in the fourth quarter by Jason Kidd was was interesting. I I would have liked to have seen uh, Tony Snell or Jason Terry out there uh, late, just because I I they were getting so many open looks from three because of how Toronto was just sort of suffocating on drives by Giannis, and I, I would have liked to have seen those two guys out there or at least one of them out there and instead of Del Vadova, but uh and maybe even instead of Malcolm Brogdon who's a rookie has had a great season but I just I would have trusted a guy like Jet Terry to, to hit an open three there a bit more than than either of those guys but I, I mean same same time though I mean they they I, I don't think they necessarily were guaranteed of winning that game even if they make uh, both of those open threes just because of what the score was so we're at an interesting point in Jason Kidd's coaching tenure where a lot of it leading up until this playoff series has been you know like he has some weird rotations and is playing some weird players and we've obviously now after two games in this series still continued to see that happen where you know like why is Spencer Hawes in the game for six minutes why is he in the game at all now are because of that one win or maybe you know Milwaukee takes it to at least a six game series can we like finish the story on him being just a kooky coach but still knows what he's doing or is the word still out on him and whether he actually understands you know who should be on the court and at what times well it it depends in some ways how much value you know you place on like what james brought up you know like there's a there's reason to believe that if jason terry is in the game instead of della vadova for that last possession that the bucks you know are up one with 45 seconds left instead of you know della vadova shooting his third air ball of the second half um you know Malcolm Brogdon had a rough game but I think he's proven enough and you really don't have that many other options that he should be out there but like how is Tony Snell who has been you know arguably the Bucks like second slash third best player so far in the series like not play in the fourth quarter like there's well it's my argument I mean my argument for not having Brogdon out there is like you're it's it's Giannis is your only ball handler right. at really, that point at that game. point in the game like sure. so it, it just having him out there for his ball handling i don't think does a ton having him well, out there maybe for his defense i think you want him on i mean he's been like a 40 percent three-point shooter too yeah but i mean like i think you get that same level of three-point shooting from snell yeah. and terry and you get uh, a bit more confidence right. i think in both of those guys too yeah i just think you know the snell thing is it just doesn't make sense you know it's one of those decisions where you you could see if you know if someone else was hot if you know this lineup really had it going without him but like that's just it was an inexplicable decisions. Like I, I don't, I don't know. You know, Kid has had a number of these type of situations throughout the regular season too, where it's like, why did Chris Middleton not play until the final minute of the game? And like a lot of times, it's worked out. You know, mm-hmm. for some, in my opinion, somewhat fluky type of reasons. You know, guys miss open shots. You know, the Bucks make tough shots, and and it, it ends up kind of being okay because things work out. But then you have a game like this where it doesn't work out, and and it's just it's tough to answer why Tony Snell's not on the floor. He's a good defender. He's a starter. He has length. You know, I, it's just, it's just a very, very confusing tactic. Obviously something to monitor. And that seems to be the point coming out of this is like, why wasn't Tony Snell on the court? Now I can overlook the regular season uh, transgressions if you want to go that far, because if we're going to have teams that are just going to completely rest their best players, 
then why wouldn't a coach go and do some funky things with their lineups? Like that makes sense to me. And I'm willing to completely overlook it and say, you know what, actually go ahead. That might actually benefit you. But if he continues to make those glaring errors where it seems like everybody is on the same page, I mean, I can't tell you how many different spots uh, I saw where everybody was asking, why isn't Tony Snell on the court? And all three of us have collectively said that in addition to everybody else. Then you're starting to wonder like if an assistant coach needs to be in place to say, hey, you've done a great job. But like, if, if you're going to have Spencer Hawes out there for six minutes or you're not going to put Tony Snell out there, all the good work you've done so far is going to fly out well, the window. Yeah, I mean, I think we also have to remember who we're talking about. Like, we're, we're complaining because Tony freaking Snell wasn't on the court. You know, it's like the Bucks yeah. personnel is not that good. It's not like he didn't play Giannis for an entire fourth yeah, we quarter. Like, Jason Kidd had a firsthand account of Tony yeah. Snell. So if anybody was going to discredit exactly. him, it, it would be Jason Kidd. Right. So it, it's it's tough. I, I get it. Mm. I get it. So the Bucks can't play Talatovich anymore. Um he, they had of their six worst uh, three man lineups in in game two. Toledovich was a part of five of those, mm-hmm. um, so good work by him. That's tough to do. He just can't be out there. I mean, if he's not hitting and taking open threes or even contested threes, there's no reason whatsoever for Mirza Toledovich to be on the court. He's a terrible defender. He is horrible at at walling off in, in the pick and roll traps that they've been trying to run. Uh, and Monroe got beat on those a couple times too. I thought he was bad on D in game two, but. He gives them enough offensively that you know they kind of need to have him in there for long stretches. Uh, who wins Game Three tonight? I think the Bucks win, uh, probably by like five or six. I, th- I think it's not going to come down to the final possession. I think the Bradley Center's popping, popping off pretty good, and I think uh, I think that uh, honestly, just being as close as they were in Game Two, I think it's going to leave. A little bit of a, a competitive taste in, in mm-hmm. a lot of those guys' mouths, and especially Giannis, because like like you said, obviously, far be it for anyone to say that a guy played poorly when that's his final line. But I think he personally probably isn't thrilled with um, some of the opportunities he left out there in game two. So I expect uh, him to have a really mm-hmm. big game. I don't think Lowry's quite comfortable either. I'm sure you probably noticed, especially early in that game, getting by defenders and then just stopping in the lane and wanting no part of any sort of contested layup. I think the Raptors win tonight, and I think they go on to win maybe even, you know, three straight or three of the next four. Um, That first game really disrupted everything we learned over the course of the regular season, right? But when you said, and rightly so, it's Tony freaking Snell that we're complaining wasn't on the court. Like we have to remember that this Bucks team over the course of the season really wasn't that good. Not only was Toronto solid, they finished 51 and 31, but they've been here over the course of the last couple of seasons. So while we were completely disrupted in our in our thinking and our judgment by game one, Toronto is still the better team here, more of a pedigree, more of everything. And so, you know, I love a good Bradley Center home court advantage. Don't get to say that enough. Um, but Toronto is still the better team, and I'm going to refuse to let just one game cloud my judgment. I, I think the Raptors win the series. I just, oh, yeah. I, I yeah, just yeah, don't yeah. think they – I don't I think, think the – I think the Bucks win Game Three. Yeah, I think the Bucks right. needed to pull out Game Two somehow to I, take the series. I think that the it probably goes seven, uh, but I think the Raptors mm-hmm. would be gigantic favorites at home yep. for a, for a Game Seven. Yeah, and I agree. What do you think of the shirts for tonight? Have you I, seen them? I have not seen them. Uh, I would just sent you a link All to right. it. Um, they're they're pretty basic. Black with just a like a silhouette kind of of a a deer face. Oh. It looks a lot like a grizzly bear. 
Okay. It looks like they should glow in the dark. I don't know if they do or not. I don't think so. I think they're just going blackout. They're going back to the black uniforms, which they wore in game one. Mm -hmm. Uh, Obviously ditched those for game two, so got to stick with that. Uh, Hawks-Wizards last night. This series looks like it could be over in four. John Wall has asserted himself as far and away the best player in the series. Dwight Howard didn't give the Hawks anything. Um, Paul Millsap didn't really give the Hawks much. And there goes James, James. taking his mic and everything. See you, James. Talking baseball? All right, well, see you later, man. Good to have you. Wizards win again at home. John Wall again plays really well. And, you know, I, if you're the Hawks right now, you know, you head back home, the, the series in theory, I and mean, somebody somebody for the Hawks, I forget who it was, I think it was Millsap, you know, told the media, we, we see this as a, it's 0-0 as we head back home. Like, if you want to feel it like that, that's fine. That's <laughs> It's actually not 0-0. It's in, it's in fact 2-0. And I, I think this is going to be over in four. I think the Wizards are playing really confidently. I think John Wall looks as good as he's looked at any point this season. He was whipping out some of the street ball moves in game last night, which I always like to see. Um, he was chirping at Dennis Schroeder. Uh, it's everything's coming up Wizards right now, and things get very interesting for the Washington Wizards, regardless of who they would play in round two. Because I don't think they're scared of the Bulls, and I certainly don't think they're scared of the Celtics. Yeah, and, and when I view teams that are playing the Hawks, the most important thing that I'm always looking at to to tell you know, like do I do I feel like they could beat. Uh, this team in a seven-game series is are, are the majority of the players on the court chirping at Dennis Schroeder. John Wall told reporters that he he had overheard Schroeder telling Ken Bazemore to like hit John Wall's injured wrist, and cause, you know Wall had been favoring it throughout the game, and and Wall's like, I just told him, why don't you come over and hit it, which is about the coolest thing you can probably say in that situation. And you know if you're Schroeder, I don't know, I really don't know what you say back because you're getting killed on both ends, and your team is down 0-2. Okay, so here's what I want to see more from in the playoffs, just in general, that I, I'm really just sad that I'm not seeing, um, is is that type of mentality, right? Like, you know, don't, you know, there's, there's a big faux pas to go after injured players or attack injuries, but if Steph Curry drives to the hole, Myers Leonard, and you have a chance to go for a hard block, and if some of the rest of your arm contacts Curry one way or another, then do it. It's the playoffs. You have to intimidate. You have to do something. Your back is against the wall. I'm really just really like, disappointed um, and, and just saddened the fact that the level of aggression has not um, seen an uptick in the playoffs. I just don't understand it. You got to find an edge one way or another, and especially if you're a team like the Blazers, you got to go for it. And, and to me, it's, it obviously symbolizes a new NBA where all these guys are friends off the court. Uh, social media, they don't want to, you know, they don't want to, you know, just be hated on uh, after the game on Twitter. But for the most part, like even if you're Atlanta now, right? Like you need to find an edge somehow and, and you just need to play with more aggression. And I just don't understand it. I mean, is there like a specific play like in the, in the Blazers game or something like, I don't, I mean, I don't know. I don't, I don't think that anybody has been lighting up, you know, easy layups or anything like that. Nothing that I've noticed. I'd, I'd, I think in theory it would be more fun if there were more interpersonal combative rivalries as you hear about nostalgically, you know, I think Kurt Ramis is probably the number one guy that, that you always hear referenced, but 
you know, you're going to get fined and you might, you're probably going to get suspended. Like nobody wants that. Um, but yeah, I mean, if you're the Hawks, you need to find some sort of edge. I mean, if they were the team complaining about Washington being too physical in game one, and you know, this was a game that had combined something like 71 free throw attempts. So, you know, whether it was actually physical or whether it was just closely officiated, I guess is, is kind of up for interpretation. Yeah. Nobody wants to find, nobody wants to be suspended, but if you're a guy at the end of the bench and you feel like it could change the tide of a series, you, I mean, I, you don't think there's any value added in all in intimidating, you know, small point guards like Dennis Schroeder, like Steph Curry from ever even thinking about coming into the lane? I, I think the idea of it, yeah, but you just can't get away with it. I mean, you watch these games. I mean, they were they reviewed Thonmaker in in game two came off of a screen on defense and, you know, was blind, basically blindsided by a screen and ended up plowing over, I forget even who it was, might have been Corey Joseph um of toronto and he they reviewed it for a flagrant like he literally turned around and accidentally ran him over and like that was a potential flagrant one like anything is a flagrant now and if if you go and commit like a blatant hard foul you're almost guaranteed a flagrant one maybe a flagrant two and then you're looking at suspension uh, I it's just, just I not just worth it. Like teams were beyond the era of hey, go send in our fourteenth man to go. Not, you know, not F like up Steph Curry. Not hack the guy necessarily, but put your body into him when you're going for the shot. I mean, there's certain ways of of doing it with you know stupidity and doing it with slyness. And I think there's certain ways that if if Curry is going to attempt a layup, you better bet that you know whoever's in the hole or defending the rim at that point is going to put a lot of their body into him while still going after the ball. I just don't understand it, and I don't really like it when you watch you know olden days when when those guys go to the hole you know they're afraid to and if they get whacked or you know a lot of body they're just not coming back and guess what you just took a whole game plan aspect out of their arsenal i i don't know i think i just i think we just disagree on this i don't i think it's the like nobody it's talked about more than it actually happens as far as like you hit him once, he's not coming back in. Like, when does that ever happen? Like, who who just stops driving the ball for an entire series? He used to. Did it, though? Like, to who? I, I mean, you just watch, like, NBA old films or, or not. Well, the films, Pistons are like, oh, we did that to Jordan. Like, Jordan still averaged 30 for the series. Like, I... I think it's maybe in the back of your mind, but that was like 30 years ago. I guess I'm not really talking about... I mean, Jordan's still a big guy. I'm talking about in today's NBA, you could argue that... So they're just, they just seem a little bit scrawnier than they have in the past where... If I was Steph Curry, right, and I was driving to the hole with trees there like Myers Leonard and, and you know, some other big guys, and I, I would be intimidated even if I was one of the best it's players Myers in the It's Myers Leonard, man. It's not Nazi Muhammad. I don't know. I, you can't you, expect that out of Noah Vonley and Myers Leonard. Okay. We'll agree to disagree, but, I, I mean, the players and the coaches obviously think like you do too because I haven't seen any of it, which I'm just Nobody wants that. It. Nobody wants it to happen to their team. You know, you don't want to be that guy. Well, we have two people left in the NBA who are that guy, right? Matt Barnes is hurt. Well, okay, so three if you want to include Matt Barnes. I mean, Della Vadova and Patrick Beverly who go out there and they try to get in your head and that is a major part of their game plan each and every single night. And I think it works. I just wish some big guys actually took on that mantra too. Yeah, I mean, it would it would make things more entertaining for sure. Um, I, I just, you know, I, I think the, the, the risks of doing that I just kind of outweigh the benefits at this point. Celtics Bulls. Um, the Celtics are officially in full-on panic mode. Uh, they looked arguably worse in Game Two than they did in Game One. They they were able to somewhat patch up the rebounding. That is what really really killed them in Game One. They were minus seventeen on the boards. Were better at it in Game Two, but there were still 
uh, a few blatant possessions where, where that was a major issue. It sounds like Stevens is probably going to tweak the lineup for game three. We might see Jonas Jarebko just to give him some shooting. Um, and the biggest thing, though, is, you know, one, Chicago's big three is playing like a big three. Um, and and two, Boston just can't hit open shots, and they're relying on on guys who aren't great shooters to take a high volume of three-pointers. And I think we saw it especially in game two, and a couple of the guys said it in their post-game pressers that they, they got down double digits and tried to win it all back in one possession, which obviously if you've ever played basketball, you know that you can't score more than four points in a possession. So we saw a lot of rush threes from Marcus Smart, who ended up flipping off a fan. Very classy gesture. Isaiah Thomas had a couple of bad possessions. Um, you know, Jay Crowder uh, took a th- got a rebound, dribbled out to the corner, and launched a three with 22 seconds left on the shot clock uh, in the fourth quarter. So it's not a one-man issue at this point. It seems like their their top three or four guys offensively just aren't on the same page. And you know, if they lose Game Three in Chicago tomorrow, uh, then this series I think is is officially over if it's not already. Yeah, of course. Um... I think that the Celtics are playing – now hear me out on this one. I think they're playing just as good as they did at any point in the regular season. But everybody else is playing way better than they did in the regular season. And it's playoff basketball. I mean, obviously Chicago is playing better than at any point in the regular season, right? Would you agree with that statement? And I just don't think – all this is to say that I just don't think the Celtics had or have another gear to kick it into. You know, there's just we they they've been playing all their cards this whole season because uh you know, that's just what they've had to do to win. Major major credit to Brad Stevens for pulling out all the stops throughout the regular season to get them to be the number 1 team in the East. They just don't have any cards left to play and there's just no massive uh, not massive, but even tweak they can really make with the personnel they've got because they're still playing like their full lineup that they did in the regular season too. It's not like they whittled down the rotation to eight guys that hasn't worked and now they can try a couple new new guys. Um, it's just, well, it's that we've seen everything they have and it's a personnel issue. It's not a coaching issue. It's not a player performance issue. They, we've seen it all from them already. They've got nothing less, nothing left to give us. I think they do, but I think they're just minor moves. You know, like Terry Rozier didn't play at all in game one. He played 13 minutes in game two. He was in some crucial moments. You know, he was plus 11 off the bench. He was he was their best plus minus by far in this game. Um, Jarebko didn't play at all in game two, and you know, there's rumblings out of Boston that he's going to be the guy that would maybe slip into the starting lineup, probably replacing Amir Johnson. Um, you know, just to give them some shooting because. Jay Crowder can get hot. Isaiah can get hot. Bradley's fine. Uh, when Marcus Smart's out there, you don't really want him taking, I think he's taken 13 threes in these first two games. That's far too many. Um, so I, it, it's, I do agree with you to some degree. I, I think they've definitely played better during the regular season, obviously, uh, than they have these last two games, but they don't have another gear. Like Chicago played much worse throughout the regular season and hasn't played like this very often. Boston I think their range you know they 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 don't they won't quite bottom out like some teams when they have a bad game you know like OKC last night on a lot of levels especially in that fourth quarter like that was just horrible basketball Boston's never going to play terrible terrible basketball but Mm. I don't know that they're ever going to play elite elite basketball and that becomes a problem not that you need to play your best game every time to beat the Chicago Bulls but when the Bulls are playing close to their best game and you're playing just an average or slightly below average game then you get you know 14 point losses 
high floor, low ceiling for the Boston Celtics. And I actually credit that to coaching because I think, I think that ceiling is as high as we could ever expect that ceiling right. to be because of Brad Stevens. Here's an interesting exercise. I'm looking for yes or no questions or yes or no answers. All right. Um, had the Celtics played the Cavaliers in the first round, would they win that series? Uh, no. All right. Toronto Raptors? I uh, No. Washington Wizards? Absolutely not. Atlanta Hawks? Probably go seven. Okay. Indiana Pacers? They're probably split 1-1 right now. All right. I mean, and then we got, and then the only team left is the Bulls, and the Bulls are about to sweep right. them. The Bulls, are, the Bulls are the worst team in the playoffs. Um, I mean, and then there you go. And then th- what does that say about the Celtics, that they're about to get swept by right. you I just mean, claimed big... the worst team in the playoffs? Yeah. I mean, it's, I don't see how you, if you if they're down 0-2 to the Bulls, I don't see how you could say that they would be beating any other team in the East or exactly. the West for that matter. Yeah, no, I, I completely agree. Yeah, and I mean, and all this, and, and what I mean by this is, you know, it's fun. It's it's awesome. This team is great. And I've said this the last couple of years. This team is trending upwards as an organization. But by the time they finally get to that point where they are officially challenging for titles, they might have one or two guys left on the roster that they've had over the course of the last couple of seasons. Where, yeah, Isaiah Thomas helped with that ascension. But I don't think he's the answer. Maybe maybe in a six guy off the bench, but as you've told me before, Isaiah Thompson has or Thomas has played himself into a starter's role, um, you know, somewhere. So I don't know. I just think it's interesting that this team can be trending upward, but at the same time, when they get there, it's not going to be the same people yep. like you say with the Bucks, the Timberwolves, maybe even a team like the Phoenix Suns. Yeah, I don't. I mean, I'm in the camp that you can't you can't sign Isaiah long term. That's just a terrible decision. Um, but he, of course, were, is in the camp that he's a starting point guard, and of course he is. Were you in that camp before the playoffs started? Yes. Okay. Yeah. I, but I, but you're, you know not winning, you're not winning a title with that guy. Right. A lot of people are realizing that now, but that you know that has changed for a lot of other people, right. not you and me. But uh, Getting swept might be the best thing long-term for Boston, yes. honestly. Like, the worst thing that would happen is like Isaiah Thomas has this crazy postseason, leads you maybe to the East Finals, and then it's like really hard to trade him mm-hmm. this offseason. Like. They need to trade him this offseason. They need to draft Markel Fultz, draft Lonzo Ball, trade Isaiah Thomas. And, you know, they've they've given the indication by not making these moves that they've had on the table the last two years that they're willing to play the longer-term card, and that's, you know, wait out LeBron. So, you know, that would be in line with that line of thinking, you know, getting rid of Isaiah Thomas and going with the younger, higher upside option through the draft or through free agency, whatever way that is. Um, I, I just don't see, I just don't see how you could possibly justify, you know, paying that guy a hundred and some million dollars. That said, a team like Orlando or Sacramento or whoever it might be is probably going to be more than willing to hand that kind of money to Isaiah Thomas. Of course. Yeah. And I think, believe it or not, even though he's in charge of the performance of this team, Danny Ainge might be the happiest if this is a sweep, because every decision he makes is justified. He can point to Isaiah, we're not signing you. Guess what, fan base, you love Isaiah, but we're not signing him because we got swept by the worst team in the playoffs that year. So nobody should be happier than Danny Ainge. Yeah, he in some ways would bail him out. You know, no one's no one's no one blames the GM when you lose in round one as the as the one seed to the eight seed. You know, it's going to fall on the coaches. It's going to fall on the players. This kind of gives Danny Ainge in theory, and we shouldn't talk like the series is over because I don't think it quite is, but you know, given what we've seen so far, it's not looking good. 
it would give Danny Ainge somewhat of a free pass to make whatever changes he wants, you know, because any, any criticism that comes his way, then he can just fire back and say, all right, well, do you want to run it back with the team that just got, you know, housed by Chicago in round one? Um, So yeah, I don't don't know what the fix is for Boston. Obviously they need to be better on the boards. Obviously they need to make quicker passes and, and they need to hit their outside shots. But I mean, they didn't get anything out of Al Horford in game two. This was, this was a vintage Hawks Al Horford playoff performance um and and his comments after the game were just like i'm just taking what they give me i'm gonna keep keep doing that it's like man you're you're the most accomplished player on this team by a huge margin like it's not you know i don't mean to call out al horford by any means i mean he's a great player in this league and deserving of that big contract but i mean, take it upon yourself at, at, at some point i mean especially with the way that the that the guards have been playing sure yeah right on what um, else what else is interesting to talk about left in the playoffs Obviously, hit the top top subjects for first round stuff. Um, most importantly, and perhaps the happiest, you know, that I could be is that we haven't talked about the Spurs or the Grizzlies. Where that's over, the, yeah, that's obviously over. But I don't think that the Spurs, maybe they haven't had the opportunity to do it, but they haven't really impressed us to the point where we're like, oh wow, watch out, Houston. You know, they've they've looked really good for. 48 of the 96 minutes that they played they've just kind of not put those 48 minutes together in one game you know i mean they were right. they were really bad early in game one were awesome in the second half and it was kind of flip-flopped in game two uh but I, this is going to be a sweep i think i think it's going to be a tough game tonight with you know after coming off of the the fizz presser and all that people are going to be jazzed up I, I think the grizzlies probably get off to a hot start but it's the spurs i mean it, it, even that last week of the regular season when they were down like 30 to the lakers you just knew they were coming back. And obviously the Grizzlies aren't the Lakers, but no lead is safe against San Antonio. And they've, I mean, they've had Memphis's number for like eight years now. I can't believe it took us this long to talk about Fizdale. I'm willing to bet that after he said, take that for data and he started to walk off, he was like, Oh my gosh, that was the dumbest thing I've ever said in my life. Oh, And then it was, inf- and then it's been infamized, but like, right. I, I think that, <laughs> I think that when he when he said it, he was just like, "Oh, that is not what I wanted to say." And now, now everybody loves it. It's on T-shirts, but I mean, take that for data. It doesn't make any sense. It was a weird I think thing. It does. He See, was why, trying to why does sum it not up, make sense? He was trying to sum up what he was saying, but I mean, he could have said something else. I don't know. I just I just think that it's it's turned into this big thing. But in the moment, I bet he was just like, "Oh gosh, that was dumb." I think it, I honestly think it makes sense. I think the Rook thing makes sense too. Oh yeah, that makes a ton of sense. That that was the best. Like I mean, Rook is a verb. I think people took it to mean like they're not going to Rook us, like rookie us. Like no, Rook literally means like to get screwed mm-hmm. out of something. Uh, so I mean, I was I was defending Fizdale's words. I, I, I think he meant what he said, <laughs> and it made sense. No, he meant what he said. Anyways. Take that for data. He he literally read off a bunch of data and yeah. then said take that for data and then walked out. Like what's wrong with that? I don't know. That was great. I love that he had that he had all that prepared, you know. Like he was well, reading. You know, it. they have this. Well, they have the score right. sheets in front. Even all the. But players. he had looked it over. I mean, it wasn't yeah. like he was tallying it up as he was mm-hmm. talking. You know, he was. You know, he knew exactly how many free throws Kawhi had taken, how many shots in the paint. Like that's not on there, is it? Yeah, it is. On the post game box yeah, score, they have little sheets. Yeah, they have little sheets, and it has all that broken down, so the players can look at it. They can reference what the reporters are asking right. them, and all that stuff. He was he would was pausing, you know, no pauses at all to like look anything up. But I'm he sure just he got that exact the, sheet before he got up on the podium, right. and he was just looking at the sheet to reference it. But you know, like w- when players and coaches go back to the locker room, they're handed those sheets to see, like at halftime yeah. too. Right. Yeah. He was. Uh, 
that was the goal, I think, as soon as he walked into that room. It was it started off as a normal, mild-mannered yeah. press conference, and then I thought he was going for the table flip at the end. I like know. When he's, that would have been incredible. That, that probably would have been another 30000 All that said, brilliant move in terms of morale. Got to do uh, it. This has been said by a few others, but this game heading back to Memphis was going to be lifeless in the arena now that he said that, you know, there's an extra charge in the arena, in the fan base, maybe even his own players. Local I don't t-shirt know he, economy. Local t-shirt economy. I don't know if it was that well thought out or if he was just truly venting. But what he did, you know, really is going to help them in game three. Is it going to matter for the series? No. But at least there's going to be more fans in the seats that are charged up about the series than there would have been had he just slowly faded into thin air as a as a losing coach in the first round. Yeah, I mean, it, we've seen this move from a ton of coaches in the past, so I, it wasn't surprising at all. You know, it, watching that game, you weren't like, man, Memphis is getting screwed here. You know, it was... That's what that's what the only thing that I kind of thought was funny about it is like there weren't these like horrible blatant missed calls, uh, but obviously Fisdale felt that way, and you know I I think it usually works. You know, um, I think the refs will at least you know maybe subconsciously pay a little bit closer attention, uh, but I don't think it's going to matter. I Grizzly, I, I still would go Spurs in four. Abs- worst case scenario for the Spurs, they went in five. Yeah, I yeah okay. five would be the long shot for sure. All right, let's wrap this up. Who wins Cleveland or Indy tonight? Cleveland I think the Pacers take this one uh, but I I think Cleveland will will be fine in this series Toronto Milwaukee Uh, Toronto I think they win the rest of the games in the series good job on game one but you're you're not quite there Milwaukee yeah I'll take Toronto tonight as well and then I'm going Spurs over Memphis alright I like it alright let's wrap it up we will be back sometime next week Whether you're a world-class athlete or a podcaster like me, we all understand the importance of mental and physical well-being and proper recovery for top-notch performance. That's why I'm excited that Unified Healing is sponsoring this podcast. Unified Healing is a new and super innovative global network of wellness centers powered by Energy Enhancement System, or EE System. If you haven't heard of the EE System, you'll want to listen up. This technology promotes wellness, deep relaxation, purification, and rejuvenation. At hundreds of locations across the globe, access to a center is easy and affordable. Interested in experiencing the EE system technology for yourself? Go to unifiedhealing.com slash bluewire to learn more and find a center near you. That's U-N-I-F-Y-D healing.com slash bluewire. No material or testimonials on the Unified Healing website are intended to be viewed as medical advice or a substitute for professional medical advice, diagnosis, or treatment. Always seek the advice of your physician or other qualified healthcare provider with any questions you may have regarding a medical condition or treatment and before undertaking a new healthcare regimen, including EE system.